Wright, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode for your Monday. Today's episode is all about general NBA talk, kind of a break from the usual focusing on a specific team. I have Josh Eberly here from Hoop Magazine, just talking about kind of whatever comes up, some fake trades and some more Twitter talk. He loves talking about Twitter, and it's kind of fun to talk about. Hopefully, uh, those of you not on Twitter will uh, not be too bugged by that. It's at the very end. Um, Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you all that in February, we are doing a thing where if you write a five-star iTunes review, we will read it on air. So you can write whatever you want. And we will read it as long as it is not horribly offensive. Feel free to say whatever funny thing you want or plug whatever thing you got going on or tell people to follow you, uh, you know, your band's page or whatever gets you going. So log on to iTunes, write a five-star review. We will do that. Also, if you like our show and maybe you've been listening to us for a while, we would love it if you went to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash breakfast and became a supporter for our show. If you maybe want to give us a buck or two a month, there you can interact more with us. I post power rankings every week. I think the biggest, most fun interactive thing is we have a Slack chat where we talk basketball kind of 24-7 with some of our hardcore listeners. So that's a lot of fun. So if you are interested and want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today is a writer for the NBA's Hoop magazine and a sometimes contributor for press basketball. He also is obsessed with NBA Twitter etiquette. Mr. Josh Eberly, how are you? I'm doing great, Keith. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited uh, to eat some breakfast and talk some basketball. That's great. If you don't mind for our listeners, save eating the breakfast till after we're off uh, air. Sometimes <laughs> eating, eating, eating noises don't go over great, I've been told. Um, are you, uh, are you? Are we talking live from Calgary? We are. We are indeed. I'm very excited. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone in Calgary before. Uh, can you tell me, is the depiction of Calgary in the movie Cool Runnings accurate? <laughs> it's since I've seen that. Um, yeah, I think I think to some extent it's uh, it's a lot bigger than people imagine now. It's actually quite a big city, but but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it captured it a little bit. I mean, it was just—I believe it was just portrayed as a as a wintry wasteland. I think they were just contrasting it, it with Jamaica. It was uh, Calgary is quite cold. It's not quite Winnipeg, but it is quite cold. We do get a lot of snow. Um, but yeah, big big urban center. So I'm sure if people actually went to downtown Calgary, they would feel very much like every other city. And I, I, yeah, and I assume so. There also is like a Western line dancing club, which I believe the Jamaican team went to. I, it's all it's all kind of fuzzy. I haven't seen it in a while, but trying trying to rack my brain. Um, speaking of uh, breakfast, as as you mentioned, I believe you said you have some hot breakfast takes. I don't know if you wanted to share those now or if you wanted to take it easy and uh, talk about something maybe more uh, generally accepted, like pancakes being worse than waffles. No, 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 no. Come on, come on now. No, I don't even know who started that that one day, but somebody got me going. And pancakes are most definitely better than waffles. I think I throw crepes second in that group, but 
yeah, we don't we don't need to go there. There, there was a lot of hostility that day on Twitter. I, I didn't <laughs> didn't realize what lines I was really crossing with the pancake. I mean, to me, a pancake is just a textureless hunk of batter where a waffle has better texture and then you have all those crevices that, that can hold toppings and other different flavors because you're not eating a waffle or pancake plain typically. So I'm curious what, what to you makes the pancake superior? Okay, so for me, I, I, I don't really like the, the crunchy textureness of the waffle. Like I like everything to go down in like one smooth bite. Okay. And also I'm kind of a weirdo and this take is not going to be accepted but I love more than anything putting on on my pancake is yogurt. Oh. And I just love to spread a little bit of yogurt across the pancake, maybe put some fresh fruit on top. That's bliss right there for me. And is that like, is that a is that a cultural is that is that an ethnic thing is that a Canadian thing? I I think that's like a a young kid who had leftover pancakes one time and threw yogurt and that became his thing and no one else that I know has done this so. All right, so you've gone you've gone rogue with your own pancake style, so that that's fine. I mean, I can imagine how a yogurt and a pancake together it doesn't it's not it's not grotesque or anything, but no, it's it's delicious. It just it comes off so weird to people because they're like, why would you do that? But I mean, how different is yogurt than like whipped cream, right? Like, well, I mean, I guess they're both semi dairy based and white, but I don't. I mean, yeah. they're, they're kind of different. Yeah, but I mean, we don't we, we don't have to go too far. I mean, it's not like I'm throwing like. Ketchup like you on wouldn't there. put yogurt on top of like hot chocolate. No, that's true. That's true. So I mean, but I mean, I don't. We we don't. We we embrace all forms of breakfast opinion. You know, well, it's fine as long as uh, as long as you're not hurting anybody else with your breakfast. That's uh, that's completely up to you. All right. Well, I'm curious. Uh, moving on to basketball, you uh, you cover the NBA kind of in a in a general sense, right? About all sorts of things. Uh, do you do, do you feel any particular kinship with your Canadian neighbors? The the suddenly very struggling Toronto Raptors? Um, yeah, no. Uh, I think people always want to paint me in the Raptors box because I'm Canadian, but Toronto is very, very far from Calgary. Uh, yeah. It's the equivalent of, you know, Seattle rooting for Boston. I mean, it, it's, it's not really my neighborhood team or anything. I, the reason that I have a soft spot for the Toronto Raptors is because they got the most coverage when especially when I was younger before league pass before you know being able to stream before et cetera et cetera and because when the Raptors are good Canada cares a whole lot more about basketball when the Raptors are bad it's just it's a non-topic it's a non-starter there is no coverage but when the Raptors are good it's at least on people's radar so for me being a huge basketball fan up in Canada I like to see the game growing I like to see it being on the on the dashboard so that's why I root for the Raptors a little bit that makes sense. I mean, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a like a three-hour drive from Memphis. But just just the having the Tennessee kinship when the Grizzlies announced they were coming to Memphis, like I hopped on board. Like that was thrilling news because I was a, you know, I guess a an agnostic NBA fan before then because there was no team near Nashville really. It was like the Hawks or the Pacers, but there's no really geographic connection to that. So it seems like you know, even though you are however many thousands of miles from. Uh, Toronto, just being the Canadian team, it seems like there'd be some, you know, at least I think I'd feel the same or a kind of a passionate attachment. But speaking of speaking of the Raptors, um, what do you think's going on there? And are, are they going to finally trade for a power forward after talking about it for three years now that things are kind of looking bad? They are in such a tough spot. And, um, you know, both this year and last year, they jumped out to a great start. And I want to attribute a lot of that to familiarity. Like these, this team knows each other. The stars know each other. They played together. The coaching staff is the same. 
And I mean, there's a lot of teams that shake things up every year and they have to adapt. The Raptors haven't had to adapt. You know, they're doing the same things. They've had the same guys, the same key contributors. And this worked really well for them. And then we've seen this the last year and even to the extent the year before where, you know, Kyle Lowry and Marta Rosen are playing ridiculous amounts of minutes. I mean, they have injuries there. The system doesn't work when everybody else starts to figure out what they're going to do. And, and I mean, they're a good team. They, you know, they can throw a punch and they have their moments. But this is a team with a recipe that we've seen that's kind of worked. It's kind of worked. I mean, they win a lot of regular season games. They haven't been good in the playoffs. And the one-two punch of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan is kind of predictable. And they've been broken down every time they've got to the playoffs because they play so many minutes. So they absolutely need to trade for a third piece. They absolutely need that third piece to be able to score and create a little bit of offense on their own. Are they going to do it? I don't know. They're, they're in this ridiculously, I, you know, I'm getting over repeating myself here, but tough spot where if you go out and you trade for, let's say, Serge Ibaka, which I think is the best case scenario for them. It doesn't look like Paul Millsap's going to move. They're not getting DeMarcus Cousins. So you only get a Baca. You have to sign him and Kyle Lowry this offseason. And the combined ages of DeRozan, Lowry, and Ibaka will actually put them at a higher average age than Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and LeBron James. And you're going to pay them more. I mean, there's just there's not a recipe for success here. But if you're going to go all in, you need to go all in this year. You need to take a chance and do it because if you don't, the young teams that have been stockpiling picks for a long time are just going to catch up to you. Yeah, one of the strange things I hear about Toronto is it seems like they're also very hesitant to move any of their young assets. Like, they, they don't want to get rid of, you know, Norm Powell, which makes some sense, but then they're like, no, we want to keep Caboclo. It's like, this guy isn't even in your rotation. I don't know what, you know, the, the long-term plan is. and They, they seem to not want to move, you know, any yeah. picks. Like, Fred, Fred Van Fleet, you know, is do not touch. You're like, guys, you need to move. I don't know what the point is. I think it's a situation where they were at where Boston's kind of at, where like they've had their little bit of success. The buzz around the city is good. People like watching them win. You know, these guys have their moments, whether it's Powell or Ross or whoever. And, and there's just this hesitance to like, you don't want to break it. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have a finished product, but you're close and, and you, you've been doing some good things. So you're, you're hesitant to mix, to mess with the mix, but you have to, I mean, you got to give to get. And it's the same thing as you, you tell fans on NBA Twitter when you're making trade ideas or whatever. It's like, you have to give to get. You know, Powell's been great. I mean, he's performed amazing given where he was drafted. He entered expectations. But, you know, he's he's at a spot where you have a luxury. Like, he's not going to play over DeRozan. He's not going to play over Lowry. Do you really want to – do you have so much faith in him that he's going to take you to this level in a year or two? Or do you want to try to make the move now while we're in all-star season? It's like, that, that's the crux. That's where you're at. Yeah. And it's also when you see him getting, like, DMP coach's decision in a game. You're like, I know this guy's young and has, has talent, but – Seems like we might want to strike while the iron's hot, especially, you know, with, with Kyle Lowry as a 31-year-old. Uh, speaking of another Eastern Conference team, uh, you floated this fake trade. I found it really, really interesting. So J- Jalil Okafor, obviously, has been on the market for forever. And I, I really liked one of, uh, one of the trades you suggested on Twitter with the Chicago Bulls. And this is a blockbuster. This is giving away, you know, everything. It's one of those things where, where Philly fans are hesitant. Maybe they want to hang on to their assets. But you floated uh, trading Jimmy Butler to the 76ers for Jalil Okafor, the Sixers 2017 first, 2018 first, and then a 2018 Nets second rounder. Also, uh, I think Gerald Henderson and Serge Sergio Rodriguez were in there for salary purposes. Uh, what are you seeing in that trade? Okay, so, you know, with, with most of these ideas, I try not to be too ridiculous, and I hate the idea of selling people. Like, I could write a nice little article 
get my clicks, do these little trade ideas, and make a couple bucks. But I really don't like the whole slideshow trade idea thing. So I throw these out. I try to go based off, like, we know that Chicago has expressed interest in Jaloa before. That's been, um, that's been on the radar. A lot of people have reported it. We know that the Bulls aren't sure what they're doing with Jimmy Butler. His name has been floated out an awful lot this year. Whether he gets moved or not, we don't know. So there's enough here for me to, you know, fiddle and have some fun. And uh, as you said, Rodriguez and Henderson are in there to uh, match the salary. But I, I just think this trade makes some sense. And I know, you know, right now I think it's at almost even that people said Chicago said yes and Philadelphia said yes. So, I mean, people are split on it. If you're Philadelphia, you get Jimmy Butler. You get a guy in his prime to help lead your other guys. You give up two firsts, but they're, they're not going to be the same first they would be without Jimmy Butler there. I think that's the hangout for a lot of people. Like that, that they're going to be giving up two top five picks. Well, that wouldn't be the case if you had Jimmy Butler, and that might not be the case anyway when you get Ben Simmons and Embiid has another year because they've, I mean, they've had a big jump this year. So you don't even know that that pick next year is going to be all that great. You keep the Lakers pick as well, whether it's this year or next year. So it's not like you don't have any picks incoming for the Bulls. Like I know it's hard to give up your best player, but you're a team that's stuck in the middle ground. You don't have a lot of building piece, uh, rebuilding pieces. I think you get Okafor, who's someone you, you claim to be interested. You get two picks that are going to probably be in the lottery, and you get a net second, which is maybe going to be a de facto first. I, I think it's a good package. I don't know that anyone else could offer anything better right now. Yeah, I love the deal, actually, for... I love it for a couple of reasons. I, I don't... I guess I don't love it for the Bulls just because... And I, I've had two Bulls people on recently just talking about, you know, the problem with the Bulls seems to be more front office and building around and having at least a general sense of direction to where they're going. But it makes sense to me as the Bulls. It's something that I can imagine the Bulls selling to their fan base because you have Okafor, who's a hometown Chicago guy. He can put up 20 points per game, so he gets the counting stats going. So And he's a high draft pick. He's well known, you know, to the more casual to semi-serious NBA fan just from his college success. So you, you get that, and then you're bringing in those, you know, those two first-round picks. I love it for the Sixers. Um, I think the Sixers have compiled all these assets. You know, Hinky got all these assets for so many years. You finally have Embiid playing great. We hope Ben Simmons is coming down the line to add a legit NBA all-star, you know, like a top-ten guy to this thing for me is worth, like if you give up this year's first-round pick. I, I think I might, if I was a Sixers maybe try to do like even just like a top two protected to see if that would be a thing, you know, in case like it, you win the lottery. But if you're giving yeah. up like the the fifth pick this year and then you're hoping, you know, anywhere from the fifth to 15th to 20th pick next year, for me, it's totally worth it. And I know I'm not, I'm not a big process guy, but it seems like now you've hit the point where these guys like Nerlens Noel eventually needs an extension. Um, Embiid's been in the league for three years, so it's like this next stretch of four years is this is when we cash it in. This is when we go. This is when we try to win. So, like I, I actually love it for both teams. But then again, I don't, I don't really have any skin in the game for either one of those squads. Yeah, neither do I. I'm just, I'm always trying to throw something out to like build some conversation. Both sides tell me I'm an idiot, or both sides tell me I'm a genius, kind of thing. Like, just as long as one side isn't isn't saying either way, right? And I think that with with trade ideas like and with building a team, Windows is so key. Um, everyone's so focused on on the window concept, but they kind of miss the fact that if you, if you're Philadelphia and you're talking about the Philadelphia window, okay, well you're going to have to pay Embiid and Simmons and four more lottery picks and Noel and Okafor and so on and so on and so on. 
all at the same time. And it's like, how are you going to keep all these guys? Right. You run into the same situation that you did with Oklahoma City Thunder where, like, I'm not saying that, you know, the Philadelphia management is cheap or, you know, they don't want to be in it for the long haul. They're not willing to pay luxury tax or anything. But there's complications with having to pay that many guys in the same two or three years. And and then, you know, people were like, oh, Jimmy Butler's already 27. Like, he's not going to fit. Well, you know, LeBron's, what, eight years older than Kyrie Irving. Shaq was six years older than Kobe Bryant. I mean, I think it's good to have an older star that can take more of the weight early. And then you're you're already competing when when your younger guys weren't quite ready to be competing. And then as Jimmy Butler ages, you know, Embiid takes more of the load, or Simmons takes more of the load, and Butler takes a little less. But you're still competing because you still have that second or third piece in Butler, who's now aged past his prime. But your other guys have come to the prime. Like you're actually expanding your window by having guys a few different years in age, rather waiting for the same cluster of guys to carry you for those four or five years, right? Like look at Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard. Like, I think that spacing and age actually helps make you a potential dynasty more so than cutting your window short. I agree completely. Let's, let's get it done. Um, I actually floated a, a, a convoluted trade that was similar where the Bulls sent, you know, Jimmy Butler to the Sixers. I also had included a thing where the Suns send um, persona non grata Brandon Knight to the Sixers. And my thinking there was, one, Perhaps Brandon Knight is not totally done and as awful as he's looked this year. And thinking that when Ben Simmons comes into the fold for the Sixers, to me, Brandon Knight seems like a good option to share a backcourt with him. Like he, he can play the one, but he doesn't necessarily need to have the ball in his hands. And he's not a great creator, but he is a good shooter. So I'm curious, um, not necessarily on that trade specifically, but do you think Brandon Knight still holds value like and or what has happened to Brandon Knight? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um... Brandon Knight was a guy where when he was traded from Milwaukee, I didn't like that for the Bucks. Like I thought he'd shown enough in Milwaukee to be their guy there for a while. Um, he got, you know, relegated to Phoenix. Things have spiraled kind of ever since. And, you know, Phoenix is a bad team. They're over they're over clustered at the guard position. He hasn't really got a chance to to show what he's got. And if you know, if you're a guy who thinks he can start, and I think he does because he started, you know, from a rookie season on. Uh, you know, it, it might mess with your ego or your head to, to be coming off the bench on a bad team and not really getting to contribute in the way that you, you know, envisioned yourself contributing. So, I, I mean, he's only 25 or 26 years old. Is he worth a flyer for somebody? Yeah, I, I think he is. But is he someone where I'd be like slotting him in as my starter for the next five or so years and have that kind of faith? No, I, I don't think so. But I, I think if you have the, the salary cap room and you're looking for a guard that can, a combo guard that can do a couple things for you and, and you're willing to take a chance on there still being some room to grow in that season, then yeah, I think he's still worth a look. Yeah, I think he's definitely, it's some kind of psychological and uh, similar maybe to what Yusuf Nurkic went through in Denver, where he's just kind of once once getting benched or once finding himself behind Devin Booker, who's, I guess, a more promising talent. I think Brandon Knight looks at Devin Booker and thinks like, I can do this just as well. And then when he's then so then he got to the bench and then I guess it snowballed. He isn't playing very well. He's no longer defending. And it's weird, like in, in Milwaukee, he seemed like a competent defender. Like he at least got decent steal numbers. Um, and, and again, that first season with the Suns, he was hitting 40 percent of his threes. So, I, yeah, I do think it's all snowballed. And now he's just like, whatever, I'm not getting playing time. Uh, and, he, and he's kind of mentally checked out because, again, yeah, the Suns are bad and. I think if I was a competitor, I would have a lot of difficulty sitting on the bench on, on a bad team. But um, and I, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, not to cut you off. Um, and I and I know that for a fact, I actually spoke to Archie Goodwin in the off season that there's a lot of frustration in that Phoenix Suns backcourt. Like there, 
it's it's not that they don't like each other or anything like that. They just all everyone in that like that backcourt, whether it was Goodwin when he was there, uh, Knight, Bledsoe, Booker, like they all feel like they're good good guards, and there's only so many minutes to go around, and they all came from you know the same college program, so they all know each other. So there's this relationship, and they've been competing for, with each other for not just like the the couple NBA seasons, but in college and et cetera. And, and I think that really wears on you. Yeah, I legit forgot Archie Goodwin existed. Yeah, and I, I don't I, think he's with anyone. I don't right think now. I heard his name in uh in, in four months. But uh, so uh, speaking of the Denver Nuggets, who did trade a guy who wasn't very happy in the locker room, uh, I think Adam Morris was reporting that like he, he had I didn't even hear this that he'd left a game early. He just left the Pepsi Center at halftime of a game recently, and he'd kind of been skulking around the Nuggets for a few weeks. But so he gets traded to Portland for Mason Plumley and a, a second round pick, and then the Nuggets are sending a first round pick this year, which is Memphis's pick, which should be like, you know, 20, 21, 22 or something. Uh, so what did you, what did you think of that trade? Yeah. You know, Adam is my guy in Denver for a lot of the, the insight. I think he's, he pays a lot of attention. He's at all the games. He's got better insight into that locker room than I do. He says it's a good move for Denver. Not just that it's not just that it's an okay move or, you know, it makes sense because like he thinks it's a really good move for Denver. I'm not there. I thought it was a bad move for Denver, but his, him being so firmly on the other side is going to give me pause, and I'll say wait and see. You know, I, I didn't really like the idea of the Joker and the Bosnian Bear playing together in the <laughs> offseason. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to work in today's NBA. Neither one of them is a knockdown shooter. They're both big men who don't move incredibly well laterally. You know, I, I, I didn't like it, and it didn't work. And now you're going to bring in Mason Plumley, and maybe – I don't know how they're going to – I can't imagine they're going to start together. Like I understand that they're both good passing bigs, and I like what that gives you, and maybe there's a brief overlap. You know, Maybe Mason Plumlee's just the backup, and you don't miss that you know, front court passing ability of the Joker when you have Plumlee in there. But you know, this is a guy who's also going to be an RFA. He's also going to take a lot of money, and how much money do you want to pay for a backup center? And I mean there's a lot of pieces here, but I really don't like that they gave up their first. You know, if you're going to trade Nurkic for Plumlee, why why are you giving up a pick there too? I, I, yeah, it's going to be a pick in the twenties, but that was the that was the swing for me. Yeah, I think the the reasoning that I can get behind, and and the Nuggets are my like my vague adopted second team this season. So I'm, I've been watching them very closely. Big fan of the Joker. Uh, is the Nuggets roster already has something like six or seven guys under the age of 22? And so I think uh, Nuggets fans thinking, you know, if we add two more first-round picks this year, then we have nine guys we're developing, you know, maybe under the age of 22 or 23. Um, So I understand them getting rid of that pick. And then I do like the idea of, or at least mentally I can get behind the idea that Plumlee's going to come in and be the second-unit guy. He's still going to play maybe 25, 28 minutes or something, and they can – they can keep running all the same stuff, you know, the passing, the high octane offense, not going to have a back to the basket guy. So like I, I see that and I assume they've already made up their mind, you know, what they're going to offer him or if they're going to extend him for this coming season. But, uh, you know, so I see their I see their perspective. And also, as you said, like Adam, you know, is in for it. And, and when 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 the fans of a team and, and the media who closely follow the team are like, yes, this is great. Like, I'm excited about it. You know, I definitely defer to them. But the idea of I don't know how also if Kenneth Fareed fits in like like Fareed and Plumlee together. Maybe that's a really good second unit thing. But 
I have defensive and offensive questions, like how that's all going to, you know, mesh and, and get them into the playoffs and see if they have any success going forward with that. Following up uh, with a kind of a last thing, following up with a conversation you had on the timeout with Ty podcast, completely shifting gears. Uh, you guys had a really entertaining talk with Ty about NBA Twitter and kind of the etiquette and the politics. I'm curious what you think. Uh, one of the things I think about when I use Twitter is uh, is some like maybe new features that I wish Twitter had. I'm curious if you have anything that you wish uh, would help you enjoy Twitter a little more. Hmm, that that's actually an interesting question. This is not something that actually since that that podcast with Ty, we I've been on you know a few podcasts. We've kind of continued like etiquette and politics and NBA Twitter taboo. And I mean, it's a fun conversation, but like features, I would love to be able to do more poll, poll, poll options. Um, you know, I think the poll is like a really fun, fun use thing to use, especially for articles and getting like a gauge of where fans are at. Like, obviously we don't want like 30 poll options going mm-hmm. on your, your timeline, but like maybe like five or six options would be sweet. I would love to see, um, you know, they've added on Twitter, like how many people have replied to your tweet. Um, I would love to see how many people have quote tweeted your tweet. Right. Um, I love the ability that like that quote tweeting gives you like, here's what was said. Here's what I said so that your timeline isn't like looking up a, 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 like a thread and having to follow it. Like they can just click on the box and it's easy. But at the same time, it's like you could have a tweet that's been quoted 50 times, but it's been retweeted once. And like, it doesn't look like it's got any traction or it's not like a discussion, but really like your mentions are on fire. So I think it would be nice to like be able to see that so that other people could be like, Oh, what else? You know, I know this is, you're like, give me a player better than X and 20 people give you a different player, but they quote your tweet every time. Like it would be nice for other people to look in, be able to look in and say like, who else has already been said? Cause I find a lot of the time too, when, when I tweet something, someone asks me a question, but they quote tweet me and then I reply, it's like no one else sees it on my timeline. So I'm answering the same question over and over and over. Yeah, that actually, that's one of the reasons, that's one of a couple reasons, I actually really dislike quote tweeting. Like, I, I don't, I, the one thing is, like, if I reply to someone, and then they quote tweet back to me, I, I always find that really strange. Like, I know I know a lot of it is they're wanting to continue the conversation so everyone can see, and, and, like, and like, everyone to get involved, but a lot of the times, like, you'll send a question, and someone, and, and th- this also plays into like the social classes that you and Ty talked oh, about. Yeah. Where like, so if I like, like if I tweet at you and you have a ton more followers than I do, and I'm like, hey, I think uh, I think the Sixers should trade for Brandon Knight, and you could you could reply like, uh, you quote tweet, no no no, he's terrible. And then it's more like, not that you would just be so dismissive or anything, you know, you, you don't do that. But like a lot of times people like quote tweet more to draw attention to the question and kind of, yeah. in my idea, it seems like they're trying to shame the question. So like because of that, I'm almost, I'm kind of loath to quote tweet. If I quote tweet, I want it to be honoring someone. Like I, I always try to draw a positive attention. No, you, you absolutely hit this on the head. This is very much like the social classes of Twitter and you know, without naming names, there are a ton of dickheads at the, at the top <laughs> of NBA Twitter who do exactly that, right? I mean, you're having a conversation, or even worse, like you have a couple replies, right? Like you're having a conversation. I see it all the time. Like somebody who has like 10,000 more followers than the other person, they're having a conversation. They reply a couple times, and I follow them both, so I can see this, and I'm kind of following along. And then the guy with more followers gets frustrated in this conversation or this debate, right? And he'll quote tweet one tweet 
pick one word that isn't phrased, you know, perfectly yeah. and just spin it to make the other guy look like an ass. When it, when they were having, you know, a civil conversation, but one person got frustrated and because they have the bigger podium and because they have the bigger mic and now they quote tweeted him, you know, they, they take the authenticity away from this guy instantly because all everybody sees is this one comment when it's been a five or six tweet conversation. Yeah, like I really hate that aspect of it. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people on NBA Twitter are always out to make you look like an idiot. And that's, you know, if I have done that, I, I feel crappy about it. Like I try to, okay, here's what someone asked me. So a bunch of people don't ask me. This is why I wouldn't do it. But yeah, it absolutely sucks when somebody throws you out like that. And, and you know, whether it's a straw man or whether it's phrasing or whatever, it's annoying. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think the feature I most want is I liked the mute feature for a while, but now the mute feature has become, I feel like, stronger. Because like my idea is I want I want a couple different options for muting. Like I want one is just to take someone off the timeline. Like I'm happy to get replies, ats, any notifications from them. But sometimes I'm like, all right, this person tweets way too much about not basketball. So like I, yeah. I, so I want kind of a soft mute. I also would love to have a like when you mute someone, you have the option of how long you mute them. I, I would love a uh, mute for the day. Like, oh, this person is uh, going to live tweet the Grammys and I don't want to hear about the Grammys. So, like, I'll just, I'll, I'll mute you. And then tomorrow, like, they're back in my timeline. No problem. Because I, I don't like muting people. Like, you want an extra? Yeah. Like, like, like I, don't, I don't want them to go away forever. It's just sometimes I, I, I want timed mutes, you know, just like, uh, and especially for, for NBA Twitter, I think life changing. Life changing for me would be on, like, at the end of Summer League in July. Man, I I would mute a lot of people until preseason. Just be like, all right, you're you know you're gonna tell me about all your next Netflix shows you watch in August. Like, I'm not that interested. Like, I follow too many people to to get that interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you were listening to Timeout to Tie, and you're like, I wish I could get people on Twitter timeouts. Like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why stop there? Can we also spank people? No. <laughs> no. But 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 honestly, yeah. And I think with the mute button for me is like I I don't really use mute or block that often. Like. If I block someone, it's usually because they're, like, swearing at me or, like, they made a comment about a family member of mine or, like, found a photo or, like, people have to be, like, really terrible, evil human beings for me to block them right. or mute them. But, like, sometimes the same thing, especially of late, like, politics, music, whatever it is that I'm just, like, tired of. And I'm not, like, a stick-to-sports person. Like, I have my days where I tweet about politics as well, so maybe I'll be a victim of the new timeout button. But yeah. You know, sometimes it's just overwhelming. And like, I know that, you know, not, we weren't going to get into it, but like, I know there's a lot of things in the world right now that are upsetting and need to be talked about. But I also don't think it's healthy to log into Twitter seven days a week, you know, as a basketball person and have your time out, your, your timeline be filled with like every kind of story, true, false, or otherwise about like how evil America and the world is. And it's just overwhelming. So I, I would like to, you know, step away from that sometimes too. Like I'm not trying to turn it off or ignore, but like some days you just need a break and you just want to go on to talk about basketball and that's not really an option. And I've noticed with mute lately, I've, I've tried to do it a couple of times just to ignore a certain subject that day. And uh, if someone quote tweets someone you mute, it still comes up. Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't help me at all when, you know, the conversation's going that way and I'm still seeing their tweets even though they're muted. So I think the only people on Twitter I've blocked are famous, either political or sports people, who when I see other people quote tweeting them, it like it gets me in a bad mood. Because like I'll see like, oh, you quote tweeted this, you know, well-known celebrity-ish 
political person and I'll, and I'll click on it and then I get angry. Like I read the first five comments. So like I, I, like I have a weird number of really famous people blocked just because I, I, I don't want to have to quote tweet. As far as normal followers, I think, I, I think I'm, small, I'm a small enough fish that I haven't had anyone get angry or just be belligerent with me. So I guess I'm, I'm lucky in that, in that aspect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, F you, Josh, you're an idiot. I can't believe anyone pays you to write about basketball. Well, right. You're entitled to your opinion, right? But you're right. entitled to your, I'm not going to block you for that. But like, hey, I'm going to rape your significant other. I'm right. going to kill you or like, you know, kill yourself. Like stuff just gets like a, you know, you're a human being. I'm a human being. I'm talking about basketball. I'm not talking about, you know, taking your civil liberties. Like there's no reason to ever be talking to another human being like that. Right. And it's weird that the, the way people talk on Twitter, I, I always, my rule on Twitter is if I can't make like a positive-ish joke, or at least be sarcastically joking, but it's obviously humor, I try not to ever reply. Like, that's kind of like my straightforward thing. Because some people will, will come at you, like, I, I'll make fun of Devin Booker, which I've been doing, and someone's like, you know, they'll look at my profile, and my profile says I'm a Grizzlies fan. And so they'll say, like, yeah, like, that's so stupid. The, like, the Grizzlies need to be rebuilding. What are they doing? Like, they suck or something. And I'm like, and I'll, and I'll normally reply with a joke, like, like man, you know, if I could trade in Chandler Parsons' bum knees for Devin Booker, you know, I know I would. And then the guy will be like, oh, yeah, you're cool. And then he'll follow. And then it's like, well, why'd you, why were you so negative? <laughs> like, why is your one interaction with a stranger online, you know, so overwhelmingly negative? But, oh, well. Maybe, yeah, maybe that says something about the, the general world and people need to be hostile. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could. Well, hey, Josh, well, thanks for taking the time with us. Uh, can you tell people uh, where they could read your stuff or anyth- anything you got going on that you want to plug? Uh, yeah, um, most of the majority of my stuff will go to the NBA's who make, uh, they're my first contract. And then if I got time, I kind of freelance on the side, uh, give me a follow at Josh Everly. And if you're feeling especially generous, hook me up on Facebook, give me a like there. Cause you know, we have to plug on Facebook too, even though we know it's an irrelevant, uh, platform, but Hey, there <laughs> we go. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You guys do it. Follow Josh uh, on Facebook and on Twitter. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me, Josh. Look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. All right, thanks to Josh for his time. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at FastBreakBreak. Go to thestepback.com to get all your NBA news. Like us on Facebook. Write those iTunes reviews. Sign up to support our Patreon, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing 